Well, thank you. Thank you, um, worship team, and thank you everyone here for that holy moment. Wow. Um, so we're in First Timothy, and, and we're in chapter 4, 1 through 11, and you're actually going to see this scripture will help us not just stand here and sing all hail King Jesus, but it will actually help us hail and lift up the name of Jesus in the real ordinary moments of our lives. So while you're turning there, I want to share a little story, something that happened to me a few weeks ago, um, and I think that's probably the best way to put it, something that happened to me. So um, I decided to do rag bry with my friend Dan Smith, many of you guys know Dan, and um, there we are in, in good old Jack Trice at the end. It was kind of cool. He got to ride through and then over that new uh, footbridge um, over University Ave there. Um, and notice that Dan is smiling and happy, and I'm just happy to be there. Um, so, uh, you know, we were doing well. Um, we got to the Des Moines River Valley. We were going from Carroll to Ames. I just did one day, for the record. Um, but Carroll to Ames, doing good. It's about 85 miles. Like 60-ish miles in, we get to the Des Moines River Valley, not far from here, right? And I knew it was coming, but I did no training for hills or wind. Um, and we, we get to this hill, and oh, I'm going to attack this thing. And we attacked that thing, and Dan attacks that particular hill all the time. So he was, you know, we were pushing each other, I guess. We did really well. Got to the top of the hill, and then the wind started coming from the east, Wind doesn't come from the east, but it did that day, um, pushing at us, and I'm just making excuses. I wasn't prepared for wind or hills, and I just really slowed down, and Dan uh, pulled me along. Thank you, Dan, and uh, we finished the thing. Um, but I realized that, uh, you know, we've in this series, we've been talking about blueprints for the church, blueprints for God's family, and we're seeing this in 1 Timothy um, and I found out that blue, some blueprints for a successful ragbri ride is that you should do some hill and wind training. Um, I literally go on bike paths where there's no hills, and next, and I look at my weather app to make sure there's next to no wind when I go. So that was dumb. I didn't train well. Um, you need plenty of water. I had one water bottle with me, and I filled it up a few times. But you need more than one water bottle to do that. Uh, in the end, at the end of July in Iowa, and um, you need a friend. So I had one of the three with me, so I got through it. Um, but there's also blueprints for godliness. And I'll talk about this more in a second, but I'm not talking about being perfect. I, I'm talking about being more and more who we actually are, God's children, and, and how he designed us to be. So let's just start with there before we get into the text, because the text talks a lot about this. Um, what is godliness? And here's, here's a working definition of godliness. It's becoming more like Christ from the inside out. Becoming more like Christ from the inside out. It's not pretending to be some, someone that we're not. Um, I love how author Jerry Bridges puts it. He says, you know, it's, it's the, the journey of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ, of of Growing in godliness is 100% God and it's 100% us. So it's 100% letting the Holy Spirit transform us and change us from the inside out. But it's also 100% us working hard at becoming more like Christ. So it's both and. But not through shortcuts like, like hiding sin 
to look more godly. That's actually quite ungodly to just pretend like you're doing just fine. And it's not pasting on a happy face when we're not. It's rather being open and honest about sin, being open and honest when we're going through trials and struggles and confessing and dealing with sin and sharing struggles with others so they can help bear our burdens. And it's working hard at closing the gap between our public and private life. So not being perfect, but being continually changed and allowing God and his family to help mold us. So becoming more like Christ from the inside out. And we're not shooting for mere, you know, looking like we have it all together. No, actually, actually having our character changed in the depth of our soul. And then that spills over into uh, our outward life. So I'm just going to give you um, the, the cheat code here. Here's where we're going. Blueprints for godliness. So over the next two weeks, here's where we're going. So we're going to see the three components we need is to delight in God's good gifts, to discipline yourself, and three, which we'll talk about next week in verse 12, is to display Christ-likeness. So the first one, delighting in God's good gifts. That brings us to our passage, 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 6. And I'll be, uh, and we, we use the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. 1 Timothy 4, hear the words of God. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared, they forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you will follow. So Paul here is writing to a young pastor, Timothy, in the town of Ephesus. And in verse 1, Paul says, hey, the Holy Spirit told me. So either the Holy Spirit told him directly, or he's talking about what Jesus said somewhere around Matthew 24 area about false teachers. But either way, God told him that some people within the church will try to lead other people within the church astray with false teaching. And this isn't just a small problem, he's saying to Timothy. This, this will be disastrous if you let it infect the church. And he describes these people. They pay attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So these people literally teach things from the devil himself. And verse 2, it says, The hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. So what does that mean? Well, the conscience is your inner self inner sense of moral right and wrong. And sometimes your conscience, sometimes our conscience is not calibrated to what God's word says, which would be a bad conscience. But here, it's talking about someone whose all inner sense of moral right and wrong is just gone. It's seared, it says. A seared conscience. I think of my dad growing up. My dad... Um, 
was a mechanic and works with his hands all the time, so he had these massive calluses on his hands. And, um, you know, I sit and talk with people and sit in an office. Some of my hands are, don't have this at all. Otherwise, I would do it for you. Although maybe I wouldn't. It'd gross a lot of you out. But my, what my dad would do is he'd take a pin and he'd just put it in his callus and then out the other end and go, look what I, you know, um, dad trick there. And um, we thought it was the coolest thing in the world as kids. But he could do it because he didn't feel it at all. His, his palm was completely callous. And that's what it means to have a seared conscience. These false teachers didn't even, like, had no sense of moral right and wrong whatsoever. So they're not only listening to demons, they're throwing out morality altogether. So these are super dangerous people. Now there's seemingly a strange turn in verse 3. I don't know if you noticed when describing their terrible teachings. I'm thinking as I'm reading, okay, these guys are probably demanding, like, human sacrifice, child sacrifice, or promoting just killing people when you feel like it, or, you know, just like crazy things like that, something extreme. Yet, what are the things that they are teaching? Forbidding marriage and forbidding eating certain foods. And at first glance, you're kind of like, what's the big deal? Like, those could even be good things. And so I, it just sent me on a journey trying to figure out what is going on. And Warren Wearsby, who is actually the author of our men's study that's going through Job, shameless plug, Monday 6 to 8, starting September 11th. Come join us, guys. But yeah, amen, amen, there we go. So um, no, Warren Wearsby is the one who wrote the, the study we're going through, and he said this, he put it really well. Beware of any religious teaching that tampers with God's institution of marriage. And beware of any teaching that tampers with God's creation. The false teachers who were infecting the Ephesian church taught that certain foods were taboo. If you ate them, you were not spiritual. So I love the way he describes this. It makes sense of it. So it's so dangerous, these teachings, because they were demanding that people deny themselves of God's good gifts. And in so doing, they were actually robbing people of joy and delight in God himself. Now, certainly following Jesus is about self-denial. But we don't deny ourselves to stay empty and dissatisfied and go, and look at me, I'm denying everything in my life. You know, like, no, that's not what it's about. We're to lose our lives so that we find real life in Christ. God desires us to be filled with joy, to experience his peace. And when we deny God's good gifts, we're actually making God out to be a killjoy. And God is not a killjoy. He's actually joy himself. So the first blueprint to godliness that Paul gives us is to delight in God's good gifts. Let me read again verses 3 through 5. They forbid, like I said, marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. See, too many followers of Christ are moping around and joylessly going through the motions of things like showing up at church and reading their Bible and praying at meals 
and maybe even going to a Bible study or a connection group or tithing, giving their money to God. And those are not bad things. We're going to talk about that for a while later. Those are actually great disciplines. But there's a huge disconnect when you're doing those types of things, but you're not experiencing any joy from God. Those disciplines are intended to keep us tethered to joy, tethered to God himself. We need to delight in and find joy in God's good gifts through spiritual disciplines and in so doing, find joy in God. So I just want to break down these two specific false teachings that Paul warns about, but I want to do it with this lens of delight. So we need to delight in God's good gift of marriage, verse 3. So these false teachers, they were not delighting in God's good gift of marriage. They were forbidding anyone to get married. And so there in Ephesus, they were prohibiting marriage so that people would feel or appear more godly. They, they were denying people's enjoyment of God's good gift of marriage, which in so doing would entice people to be sexually immoral. Like, just don't get married, okay? You, you Be holier than thou. You don't need marriage. All you need is Christ. Something like that, the teaching would go. And in so doing, it taught people to be a little more sexually immoral, to hide things, and it wasn't good. And in today's society, you see the, dev- the devaluing of marriage to become more accommodating. So Christians will even say, whole churches will even say, hey, you know, it's all good if you're not married and sleeping together. Not a big deal. Or marriage is old-fashioned, you know, not, not that big a deal. Devaluing marriage to be more accommodating. And, and in so doing, it actually disvalues culture's take on marriage more than God's take on marriage. But that makes no sense because God is the designer of marriage. When you devalue marriage to be more accommodating, you're ignoring God's clear design for marriage. So I just want to lay out just really clearly what is God's design for marriage because this is in our culture. It's gotten so diluted and convoluted. So Hebrews 13.4 makes it very clear because people ask me often, well, you know, marriage, not that big a deal. Sex before and not that big a deal. And I'm like, yeah. No, it is, and it's right there in the scripture. So just listen to this, Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. See, there's God's most profound and straightforward take on marriage in one verse. It's really important to him, so marriage should be really important to us. Messing with his design will have consequences, we see in that verse. So instead, we need to delight in God's good gift of marriage. We need to celebrate and encourage people to get married. And if you are married, you need to enjoy it. I mean, marriage is an opportunity to tangibly experience the gospel through your spouse, to experience forgiveness and grace. Marriage is a tangible example to the world of how God loves his people. You know, in Ephesians 5, it talks about how we're to love our spouse like Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for us. 
And so it's an opportunity to tangibly be an example to the world of how much God actually loves them as they watch us love one another in marriage. And we need to enjoy relational, emotional, and physical intimacy with one another regularly. So if you're married, enjoy marriage. Enjoy God's good gift. The second teaching here we see is about food. And we need, the call is, is to delight in God's good gift of food. So these false teachers were not delighting in God's good gift of food. So they were prohibiting certain foods to appear more godly. And appearance is the big concept here. To, to, they'd be like, look at how godly I am because I'm not eating that or I'm not eating that. And they're ignoring Jesus altogether who declared all foods clean in Mark 7, 19. And they were denying people the enjoyment of God's good gift of food. And so today, what does this look like? What would a, a type of false teaching look like in this regard? And I think it's just accepting any and all kinds and amounts of food and drink consumption. Especially in America today. I mean, it's State Fair Week. Let's celebrate it. You know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the State Fair. I went yesterday and enjoyed it, right? But... It becomes acceptable, and it's become acceptable for food and drink to just become God to people. And that's where it gets dangerous. It actually robs people of the enjoyment of God's good gift of food. How? Because it's meant to be enjoyed and experienced with moderation. I mean, the after effects alone of overeating and overdrinking speak for themselves. They show us that moderation is the key to enjoying God's good gift of food. And this just points back to what we saw a few weeks earlier in the qualifications for elders and for deacons, for leaders of the church, are not to be excessive. So instead, we need to delight in God's good gift of food, enjoy a variety of food and drink in moderation, and delight in it by being grateful as you eat and as you drink, thanking the giver who, who helps. The, and as we thank the giver, it actually helps the gift not become God in our own hearts and minds. It keeps things in proper order. So godliness really does begin with enjoying God, not doing things for God, but instead enjoying what he's done for us and enjoying the good gifts he's given us. So the second blueprint for godliness we see in this passage is to discipline ourselves. 1 Timothy 4, 7-11 through but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For, the, for this reason we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe command and teach these things. So verse 7 here, have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. He's actually just continuing with what he just said. Have nothing to do with disregarding God's good gifts like these false teachers are doing. In verse 8, rather really enjoy God and his good gifts and weave that into the very fabric of your everyday life, enjoying God. 
Now we see in verse 7, next it says to train yourself in godliness. This is talking about self-discipline. So don't expect your pastor, don't expect your parents, don't expect your spouse, your friends, your mentors to train you. Certainly they will if they're fulfilling their role well. But the real training actually comes through self-discipline. See, so many followers of Christ are stuck and joyless and stagnant because they've bought the lie that discipline is the enemy of joy. And that couldn't be further from the truth. They think if they they do the same thing every day, it will lose its meaning. I can't do anything. I can't do anything super routine like that or it's going to lose its meaning. But spiritual disciplines are actually the very key to unlocking joy in Christ. And it's the key to unlocking joy because we're weaving in touch points with God to enjoy Him and reconnect with Him. And if spiritual disciplines become dull and meaningless, perhaps it's not the discipline that's the problem, but rather our aim in the disciplines. See, the aim always needs to be to connect with God. Not to say that we're godly because we're doing these things. Not to check it off a list to keep God happy. Not to do our duty as a good Christian, whatever that means. But it's touch points with God to enjoy Him. But you might be thinking, why why would I take time for spiritual disciplines? I'm busy enough. I've got all of this stuff to do, all these responsibilities. But Paul actually gives us the answer. Because it's more valuable than any other type of training or pursuit in your life. Verse 8. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. See, if we're all honest with ourselves, we make time for training that's way less important than spiritual disciplines all the time. And if we can make time to work out, or to do a hobby that you enjoy regularly, but not spiritual disciplines, then we have to ask ourselves, what do we actually value? What actually matters most to us? Who do we actually love more? And if we're honest with ourselves, the answer is, I actually love and value me more than God. Because I'm saying, oh yeah, this thing is more important. Working out, doing this hobby, doing this thing is more important than connecting with the God of the universe who loves me and gave himself for me. See, people expect to get peace and joy from God without making God part of their everyday life. I mean, I hear this often. People come to me and go, hey, Matt, Why am I so hopeless? Why am I so bored in my walk with Christ? Why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel so down? Why isn't God giving me his peace? Does he actually even care about me? I mean, I have people come to me regularly asking these things. It's okay. We'll just leave it. No, you're good. You're good. Let's, Let's not clean it up right now could maybe someone up there with the kids and okay good all right um perfect 
Good. I was saying something about Jesus. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, it's all, it, it really is all good. So I'm just glad everyone's, everyone's good. Awesome. Okay. Um, let's just rewind a little bit. So people come to me and go, Pastor, Friar Matt. <laughs> no, they get, <laughs> why am I so hopeless? You know, does God actually care about me? Why, why am I not experiencing peace? And here's the simple answer, okay? You're not giving him regular space and time to speak into your life and to work in your life. It's like expecting to get a six-pack and not working out and changing your diet. That's, that's insane thinking. That just doesn't happen. Okay? As much as they advertise those things you can just attach to your abs and work out for you, I, I don't think that works. Maybe it does. Let me give you a quote by Oswald Chambers. He says this, We can all see God in exceptional things, but it requires the culture of spiritual discipline to see God in every detail. See, spiritual disciplines help us see and experience God in the ordinary, in the every day. It gives us space to connect regularly with God. So I want to talk about three essential spiritual disciplines for connecting with God. There are, there are way more spiritual disciplines out there, but these, at bare minimum, are a must for connecting with God. You know, someone I meet with regularly asked me one time, hey, Matt, do you ever get tired of pointing people to these same three things? And I was like, nope, I really don't. Because they really are the bare essentials to experiencing joy in Christ. Um, so, the first one, no surprise, is the Bible. The Word of God. It's actually, these three things are actually weaved throughout this passage. Verse 6, it says, nourished by the words of faith. Verse 5, sanctified by the Word of God. So don't overthink this. Read the Bible. Take in the Word of God. If you have a hard time reading, which is a real thing, listen to it. We, we live in an age where we literally can have it read to us in different accents. I mean, you, at a, without paying a thing, you can just have it read to you whenever you want. But take in the Word of God. Devotionals are helpful, but there's nothing like taking in the pure, unfiltered Word of God. And if you need ideas of how to go about this or where to start, let's talk. Or, or why don't you just ask someone else that you know and trust that's following Christ. They could probably point you, in the, point you in the right direction as well. But the word of God. Secondly, it's prayer. So verse 5, sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Prayer. We need time and space that's devoted to just talking to God. Perhaps on a walk around the block or on your ride to work. Or whenever, but just uninterrupted time to just talk with God. You know, your phone has an interesting feature on it. It's called airplane mode. And I find it to be helpful. I, I call it God mode. Like, like, really. Like, people think that they can't go without being reachable 24-7. And you are not designed as a human to have that pressure on you. And so I think people are so disconnected and joyless in their walk with Christ because they mainly 
just can't discipline themselves to put their devices down long enough to hear God in their lives. And so I encourage you, if you want to just boost your prayer life, it probably doesn't need to be like, oh, I need to sit down and just pray. pray. It probably needs to, you just need to get rid of that thing for even just five minutes. If you did that, what would happen if you did that? Think of the joy and peace and connection with God that you're missing out on. Because you're not intently and undistractedly talking and listening to God. See, I make a point to not have my phone on the table while I'm meeting with someone. Because I think it's disrespectful. This is just my conviction, okay? I'm not putting this on you if you have your phone out with me. There are legit reasons that you need to be reachable and have that in front of you. I'm not, I'm telling you what I do, okay? And here's why I do it. I do it to be respectful and to just show them, hey, I'm fully present with you right now. What if we did that with God? Just say, I'm fully present with you. You are what matters most in my life. The third discipline is being with his people. Community. This whole letter in 1 Timothy is devoted to helping God's family function well. It's, it, the whole premise here is to have community. So, Making it a priority, making this, having the spiritual discipline of attending church. Well, good. Everyone here, check. You got that one down. But engaging in, in a connection group, in a Bible study, there's a ramp up coming up in the, in the coming weeks. And so jump on board. Intentionally building friendships with other believers in your lives. Praying with other believers. Reading and discussing the Word of God with other believers. You know, this, this week... Uh, someone in our church came to me and, and told me that they were just feeling overwhelmed and feeling down. And so what they did is they decided that they were going to fast from food for two days. And they did it. And they used the time that they were hungry to pray and connect with God through his word. And they felt so drawn to Christ. And they did it because they were just feeling overwhelmed by the problems and trials and things in their life. And they knew they had just become a little lackadaisical about spiritual disciplines. And, and so fasting can be quite the shot in the arm to, to help you with these essential spiritual disciplines. But I love that. It connected this guy to the one who walks through the problems with him, right? It's not like his problems just fell away. But it really drew him in. And some of you may need just a total reset like that guy when it comes to spiritual discipline. So I would encourage you to fast, even just from one meal, to use that time to hunger and thirst for God himself. Most people I talk to aren't caught in meaningless, dry spiritual disciplines. That's what people, when I talk to them, they're always worried about that. But that's not where people are at. Most people are struggling to do much of anything in the way of spiritual disciplines. Not the other way of being bored by them. D.A. Carson put it like this. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, Toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. 
We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness, convince ourselves we have been liberated. So obviously, as a whole, and this may, may not be you individually, but as a whole, we're struggling to cultivate spiritual disciplines. So we need some motivation. We don't just need to know what to do. We need motivation for it. And Paul gives us that in verse 10 in this passage. It says, for this reason we labor and strive. This is why we discipline ourselves. For this reason we labor and strive. Hope in the living God. We are to be motivated by the fact that God is alive and he is right here now with me. And he's always right here, alive and well with me. And he's inviting us to connect with him. We need to be motivated by the rock-solid hope we have in Christ. Hope in the living God. That's what should motivate us to do spiritual disciplines. Not from, we need to be motivated to do spiritual disciplines from acceptance by God. There's nothing we can do. We can't earn anything. We're motivated because he accepts us in spite of us. Instead of doing it for acceptance by God. We need to do it from forgiveness, not for forgiveness. And so, As I was looking at this passage, I was just trying to think, how can I just really drive this home? So imagine I I came to you and I said, hey, I've got this caffeinated beverage and I'm going to give you a lifetime supply of it. So don't worry, here's one to start with. And if you drink just one cup of this every day, you'll be fully alert the whole day long, okay? No crazy side effects immediately or in the future. Like, it's proven. You just, it's all you gotta do is drink this one. You won't be tired all day long. Now, it'd be crazy if I did that and that was actually true and all you decided to do was like, ah, just take a sip here or there. Not, you know. That would be an insane response to that. You'd, You'd drink it every day, right? See, spiritual disciplines are similar. Jesus is offering us real joy and contentment in this dark world. And too often we settle for just sips of the word. Oh, I'll just go to church and Matt will give it to me this morning. Or I'll just, you know, I'll just pray, you know, before this meal or on my way to this or that. And just kind of nonchalant. Or I'll just, I run into some other people who follow Christ. That was, that was pretty good. I'm spending time with believers, you know. And then we wonder why we're defeated. We wonder why we're lonely. We wonder why we're scared. See, spiritual disciplines practiced regularly are actually meant to be shots of Jesus' joy and contentment in our lives. Certainly, circumstances are often rough and they're often disappointing, but we need to remind ourselves of His power and His presence and His care by being intentionally connecting with Him through spiritual disciplines, tapping into joy that can't be taken from us. Godliness does begin with enjoying God and His good gifts. And one of the greatest gifts is actually spiritual disciplines. So with the strength of the Holy Spirit, I invite you to take Jesus up on his invitation regarding spiritual disciplines. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I'll give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for the gift of your word, prayer, your people, and so many other disciplines, Lord. And I pray that we would be able to see them as a gift. And I pray, Father, that you would, you would give us strength, Lord, not to just do these things, but to connect with you through spiritual disciplines this week, Lord. And that because of it, we would be more full of peace and joy than we were yesterday. Thank you so much for this good word from 1 Timothy this morning. Help us to apply it. Help us to live in it and enjoy it. And we thank you, God, that you are the living God. And we find our hope and our life and our joy in you today. In Jesus' name, amen.